Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Rob Bartko. He's the co-founder at TradesLink. Rob, welcome to the show. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? I appreciate you having me on today. I'm very well. Yourself? Good. It's been uh, it's been a busy week, but they're always like that. So it's it's nice that it's Thursday, but we'll still keep going. <laughs> yeah, man. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. So before we get into what you're doing at TradesLink, how about we get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up? Sure. For, uh, absolutely. I was born and raised here in Edmonton, Alberta. I uh, grew up playing a lot of hockey and lacrosse. I uh, okay. come from a, a family of, of two younger brothers, so we're always getting up to something there. So it was a, it was a fun little household to grow up to and, and kind of interact with the community that way. Sure. So you went to university and college. What did you take and why? Well, actually, I started my, my career on in, uh, in, in the trades. I was a residential framer there for a couple of years. But okay. as you know, being in, in Edmonton, Yep. The minus 30 days get a little cold <laughs> and, and being on the roof framing away is, uh, is a little difficult. So I want to go back to school and, and pick something up that way, but still be involved in the construction technology side. Um, first, I kind of wanted to get into marketing, but I found a better fit within accounting and finance. I went to McEwen University, actually. Okay. Um, so I, I did four years there at McEwen, had an awesome time. It's been a great school. And I, I started, uh, I guess, my professional service career uh, at Deloitte. Okay, so what made you want to go into accounting? I was good with numbers. Uh, the, the numbers clicked with me. Uh, it made sense. It, it, it told the story. And it was something that I was just naturally uh, a fan of. As I kind of progressed throughout the career, especially at Deloitte, uh, I found it different, which you know <laughs> might be a, a commonality there, but that's okay. And, and from that, I wanted to get more into the technology realm and specifically in the construction technology realm. So that's that was a natural pathway that I was looking to get into. Okay. So walk us through the rest of your career up until TradesLink. Sure. Um, so I was at Deloitte right out of university there. I was with them for about a year. During that time, a, a high school friend of mine wanted to get into uh, real estate, uh, specifically on single family residential homes. Okay. Um, so we were looking for a single family residential home that we could turn into a secondary suite. Uh, my experience being on the the, the residential framing side uh, kind of linked well with that. So we, we bought a house there and we started down the process of, of figuring out what we wanted to do, how we were going to turn it into the, the secondary suite, what we wanted to get out, and we needed to start managing trades. Um, so having this experience I had, I still had a difficult time managing these skilled trades. We did a lot of the work ourselves, but the plumbing, electrical, HVAC, obviously we had to sub out. And if I thought I had a difficult time managing trades, then the average homeowner would have a difficult time managing those trades as well. So I wanted to come up with an idea on how to better connect homeowners with residential contractors. And the first business we actually started was called Fix-It Service Pros. Okay. So with Fix-It Service Pros, the business model there was to broker residential service contractors to homeowners and property managers. Okay. And I, I had that idea flowing around my head. And my co-founder uh, at the time, and still is my co-founder, was coming down from Revy 
Revelstoke to, to buy a sled. So we met up one day just to, to have a coffee. He was in limbo between just coming off of a commercial general contracting gig and he had some open space. Uh, funny story there, actually meeting at McEwen with him in an accounting class. Uh, we always kind of had a bit of a knack for each other on, on how, how we work together. So we always kept in touch throughout the years. Um, but he wanted to get involved in the fix-it side, and he was trying to help more on the administrative tasks with contractors. Obviously, Jobber was around, so we didn't want to compete with them. So we, we, we landed on, on fix-it, which where we brokered these residential contractors to the homeowners, and then we helped out with the payroll and the administrative tasks as well. Interesting. Okay. So how did you guys come up with the idea for TradesLink and decide to actually go for it and build it? So we ran Fix It for about two years. We did about 150 residential jobs between Calgary and Edmonton. We hired wow. about 120 field staff. And obviously from hiring those 120 field staff, thousands of contracting and trades resumes came across our desk. Right. It didn't really hit us at the time, but as we progressed throughout Fix It and with COVID uh, involved, our business model was a bit flawed and we needed to, to, to find a pivot. So. Okay. Looking at these at these resumes, we, we saw a bit of a, a lull where contractors are phenomenal on the tools, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good at selling themselves, which is right. okay because that, that's not their job. So we, we had a lot of relationships with Synergy Projects here in Edmonton. Uh, we spoke with PCL, Clark Builders, Graham Construction, and we were trying to dive into their pain points on the hiring front, front specifically with commercial and industrial trades. Um, what we landed on after many iterations was TradesLink, which in one part acts as a professional social network for the trades. And on the employer front, they can provide, we can provide access to a searchable database of tradespeople where they can select and hire people based on their work availability, their work credentials, experience, and we can have a better matching system to help them with their hiring process. So that's where TradesLink is at now, but it was through multiple iterations, a lot of customer discovery and uh and a lot of development time interesting okay so before we dive a little bit deeper into what trades link is today i want to dive a little bit deeper into because you did all this research to decide basically where your pivot was going to be did you have connections at these companies or how did you actually go about getting in front of your potential customers to do this research because i think that can be really challenging as a founder Absolutely. Well, we had a couple warm connections. We knew uh, Jared Sita out at Synergy Projects. Um, so okay. he was kind of our first stop there. We chatted with him. And at first we were actually thinking about white labeling our Fixit software to help them on uh -huh. the hiring front. What we found out though, was that if we were to do that, it would have been mainly a one customer company. And obviously we can't scale that way. Um, right. Funny story with PCL, I'm sure you'll get a kick out of this, was my co-founder, Sam. He cold emailed Paul Douglas out of the blue. Wow. And well, and for people that don't know, they're like what the biggest construction company in least Western Canada, if not Canada. If yeah, Canada for sure. North America, I think they're for sure top five. Um, but okay. they're they're huge. So we we're just happy that he even responded. We we're you know almost. But I think that's that. good <laughs> advice in itself, right? Mm -hmm. That you guys just went for it. I agree. The, you know, obviously we had to, to be a little persistent on that. Anyone who knows, uh, sure. you know, starting a company, it, the first email doesn't usually work. <laughs> you have to follow sure. up once. Maybe the twice. first hundred. First hundred, <laughs> exactly. So we weren't really too scared about that. About that. But uh, Paul Douglas was, was kind enough to, to um, connect us with their workforce manager. Uh, so our workforce, the workforce manager at PCL, uh, 
um, was really gung ho in, in learning about our model because the way that they're hiring trades in a way is through Indeed. And if anyone knows yeah. Indeed, is it's a, it's a database of, of resumes, but it's across all different fields. That doesn't bode well to the construction industry specifically. Indeed has a bit of a monopoly on that, and it's quite expensive to start hiring these, these different trades. So they were trying to look at a way on, on different models on how to recruit easier. So this was before we even built out the, the mobile app portion of our product. We sat down with the workforce managers of PCL uh, and Clark Builders and, and a couple other uh, larger GCs here, and we really dove into the pain points on what they needed. Part of that was a standardized resume for the trades and, and access to these trades. Um, larger companies obviously take a long time to get through a sales cycle. And as a startup, we can't always wait for that. So we went ahead with the information that we had. And our MVP of actually TradesLink was literally just the TradesLink profile acting as a digital resume for the trades. Got it. Okay. So how has mm -hmm. that evolved to what it is today? And walk us through that journey. So the MVP, it took us about six weeks to push to market. Uh, from that, we, small, we saw some traction. Uh, it was a good tool. It's a very easy tool to build out that digital resume. It, took about, it takes, still it takes about two minutes to set up the profile, break down your work credentials, all of that, and, and, and find value out of that. You can use that TradesLink uh, resume to send, to send it off app or in app and apply to jobs. And we slowly iterated based off of customer feedback. The next thing we did was we wanted to create a searchable, a, a search base on the app where people could start seeing other people uh, on TradesLink. Right. From that, we developed a social feed, which has been where we really started to pop off. The social feed acts, it's, it's almost like a LinkedIn for the trades and we help guide users throughout posting and interacting with the community. So we have multiple different post types all the way from sharing photos or videos of the work to questions that apprentices and younger trades can ask, uh, you know, skilled uh, the, the journeyman on the red seals and get uh, feedback on that. Uh, there's obviously job opportunities on there and tips and tricks. And we're really focusing on three different pillars within TradesLink, connecting with tradespeople across the country, finding employment and continuing on education. Interesting. Okay. So what tech stack, did you actually develop in and and why did you choose it <laughs> so i'm i'm not a technical co-founder uh naturally I, I had to come into the role uh more on a product management side and and start building out the product on the wireframing i'm not taking any of the the uh credit you know credit for for the back end work or the front end work we have an amazing in-house development team with mark and tyson um, so their tech stack right now, and, and if anyone's, the technical people are going to shoot me for this, but we're, we're running off React Native on the mobile side and then React right. for our web-based product. Right. Um, in terms of the other tech stack, I, I wouldn't be the right guy to ask. No, that that's fair enough. Uh, i just curious. Um, no, that makes sense. So mm -hmm. you mentioned something to me earlier that I found really quite fascinating and I think is really good advice to cover is you had to learn how to do wireframing and design and, and UX. Talk about that journey and how that's evolved as you guys were building TradesLink. Yeah, for sure. So um, coming from an accounting finance background, uh, I'm quite analytical with how I approach different problems. That is sometimes difficult when you're trying to explain a vision or what you have in your head to your development team. Sure. And, you know, back of the back of the napkin wireframes doesn't necessarily always get the, the job done. 
Uh, we do have a great rapport now between how our product uh, and, and development team interact, which is great, but it took a long time for us to get there. Um, so when we were starting to iterate out the MVP of TradesLink, I sat down uh, and learned Adobe XD. It took me yeah. a long, <laughs> I had multiple, you know, five AMers where my fingers would stop working and then I'd go to bed and we'd learn it again. And, and from being able to wireframe on XD, I could better communicate with my developers and break down our features into a minimal viable product that we could launch. And, and that's just something that we've learned, I guess, throughout the, the couple of years that we've been uh, in the startup space is when there's a problem at hand, we really got to get on it and, and learn it ourselves because the, the resources out there are, are either one, too expensive for us to do or, or too time consuming to learn. So I was lucky in the fact that I was able to pick it up. And I think that was a big turning point for us was being able to communicate the product well enough with a development team. Interesting. How did you find your development team? Um, Nate, actually. So okay. Nate, uh, we had a rapport with a product manager out of there um, uh, with, with Fixit. Um, he was able to bring in a couple of developers from, uh, from his school. Uh, the challenges there was as we're a new team and if everyone's junior on the team, it's very hard to grow and scale quickly. Uh, so we did have to do a bit of a reorganization when we pivoted from Fixit to TradesLink. And through that, we kept on one of our developers, Mark, who turned into a phenomenal front-end developer, or I'd say more of a full stack, but he's very strong in the front-end. And we were able to get a great hire through a connection on our back-end developer. He's more of our senior architect. And the funny thing about him is he's actually was born and raised in Westlock, but he spends his time now with his family out in Italy. So we do have a distributed team that way, and we are able to communicate well enough with, with those two uh, uh, to be able to build that out. So it's a small in-house development team, but we're able to iterate quickly and move, move fast when, when, we need, when we have the customer feedback. Now, very cool. So I wanna dive a little bit deeper into, so if I, let's walk us through, I know you quickly covered it, but so from the tradesman side and then a company using the app, and, and maybe do you want to start with the tradesman side? I, I know you kind of quickly give it, but let's dive a little bit deeper into that. Sure. So with TradesLink on two ends, we, the, the way we provide value to our tradespeople is through the social network. We want to be able to build a product where they can connect with different tradespeople across the country. You know, there's a lot of different building practices from the East Coast out to the West Coast and even down south. So having the ability to share photos or video of, of work that you're proud of one builds a community on its own. It, it's fantastic to see framers out in Edmonton interacting with framers out of the East Coast. There's different totally. ways that they're doing it and they're learning from each other, which is great. From that, uh, we also want to be able to continue on with education. You know, in, the, in, in the, the office setting in particular, we're always looking for different ways to continue education or build new credibility. And the same should be done on the skilled trades. Everything's iterating very quickly and we want to help continue on with the education. So some of our partners that we've been aligned with, Skills Alberta, you know, other ones around uh, the Alberta uh, education side have been helping us grow that continued education on the TradesLink platform. And that's another aspect where we provide value. The third uh, and final pillar, I guess, on the social network side is job opportunities. Uh, everyone needs a job and people are, are, are always looking to hire. One thing that is notorious within the skilled trades is that a lot of the time you'll get a hire based on a word of mouth recommendation. Now that's great, but you're going to need to know different people uh, to be able to get hired. That's right. not always the case. And there's not a digital platform that works that way. 
Some people can argue that there is LinkedIn, but if any of us are on LinkedIn, we do know that it's a very white collar focus. The profile acts to show off, you know, work experience in office settings or skills, you know, Microsoft Excel skills or PowerPoint skills. Those don't trade well with, with tradespeople. So the TradesLink profile showcases trade specific skills. On one hand, we still have the work experience and the, the, the credentials. The cool thing about our credentials page is that it also acts as a digital wallet. So a lot of these tradespeople have uh, you know, safety tickets, trainable tickets that they have to present on site. And having a binder isn't always, isn't always easy for them to do that. Um, so we are able to build that TradesLink profile to, to store digital wallets uh, certificates securely. And then also skills like skills related to the trades. So top 10 skills that you have as a tradesperson that you can get endorsed from your peers. So we have that social network where the three pillars all act together to build a community that is specifically for the tradesperson. Got it. Okay. And then from a company side? So on the company side, obviously we need to monetize. And the way that we monetize is through selling employer subscriptions. Something that's always been a challenge with employers is to find the, the right skilled tradesperson for a particular job. Right. There's Indeed, there's you know, ZipRecruiter, there's word of mouth, but those are getting notoriously more expensive and they're not uh, particularly scalable, spe specifically here in Canada. So what we do is that the TradesLink profile breaks down the specific skills that employers can now search for. So I don't know if you remember, you know, uh, if you remember Yahoo Advanced Search, but yeah. Yahoo Advanced Search, you know, you had the line by line item and you could filter uh, for specific criteria. Our MVP on the employer subscription side is very similar. An employer can go in and say they're looking for a commercial carpenter who's available for work now with, uh, you know, H2S fall protection and can stick frame. That person can then put that criteria into our database and then our database provides them the best match that we have and then they can start communicating that way. We're not involved in the fulfillment if they're to get hired we're involved with matching that tradesperson with the employer. So we're, our MVP on that side is actually called founding partner memberships, where we're selling these founding partner memberships to the larger general contractors in the Alberta region to help us test and build this product. Um, we've pre-sold quite a few and we'll be opening up that here soon. But the nice thing about this is that we get a hands-on approach with large companies that are hiring all the time and we can build a product that is valuable to them and scale it further and build a long-term future for the skilled trades. Interesting. So I'm curious on, on, I guess, a few to dive deeper into a few things. So what advice do you have for people? Because it can be really challenging to get people to pay while you're still building a product and getting their feedback. So how did you go about actually selling that and doing that? Or what advice do you have for people that are looking to do that? Relationship building. Um, so even from the very start before we built out that product, without us even knowing, we, we built rapport with these larger general contractors to build on the tool that would make sense. So okay. once we got that feedback to start, we then started iterating on it. We built out the MVP like I talked about on the digital resume side and then building it and building it further. Once we were at a point where we saw that there was value in this product, we could then go in and with minimal, no development time, just my time on the wireframing side, we're able to showcase an idea and then go back to that, that client and say, what do you think of this? Does this work for you? And we can, you know, if anyone knows Adobe XD, you can walk through different things very easily, but it's all, it's all 
it's all you know front end based. There's no there's nothing tied together. So once we're able to walk it through, we could iterate quickly without having any development cost, and then we can find a solution at the start, and then we can build it out. So that's what we did with the employer subscription tool. We wireframed out something very basic, showed it to the potential clients, yes or no, back and forth until we landed on something that was valuable, and then we built it. Interesting. So are you bootstrapping this? Did you raise some money, a bit of both, or, or walk us through that? With Fixit, we had a pre-seed round. Um, okay. So we, we continued on with that. You know, being, being new to the Edmonton startup space, reputation is obviously very large. And the investors that believed in us with Fixit is something that I still, you know, am extremely grateful for. Um, as we progressed through that, we wanted to make sure that those investors were rewarded because they essentially financed us a way to get to the TradeSync model. Yeah. I'm sure, as you know, talking to many startups, the first idea doesn't always work. And as long as the pivot is taking off, they're usually happy. I, I had a, I remember when we were going through that with Fixit and we knew we had to pivot. I was <laughs> so worried and scared to present our, our three ideas to these to our, our investors on what we needed to do. And one of our investors had the line by saying, you don't need my permission to pivot. The pivot is an expectation. And once I heard that, I went, okay, that, you know, that, that was a little relieving, but obviously you still need to perform. So those pre-seed investors are still with us. We are able to raise kind of a, a smaller round to fund us further with a smaller team with TradeLink. And now we'll be upcoming on our, uh, to finish off the pre-seed round with, with TradeLink here soon after we showed a bit of a proof of concept and we're able to get some revenue in the door. No, that's, that's really cool. And I actually think that's really good advice. So you mentioned throughout this whole conversation so far that you guys have really done a good job at implementing customer feedback and that can be a really great thing, but that can also really kind of bite you. So how have you managed taking their feedback, staying on course to your mission as well as not really chasing your tail, right? And then implementing features that people are actually going to use because you know, they're going to recommend maybe a thousand features. You can only maybe implement a couple hundred of them. Well, the way I see it is the customer knows the problem. They don't know the solution. Okay. Uh, and it's our, it's our job to figure out that solution. It's not really easy to do that, but what we can do is we can, the more feedback we get on what issues they're having, um, the more ideas we can show them to come to a solution for them. So we, the, the nice thing about having a social community is that we can always get feedback all the time. We can direct message users. We can, you know, see how they're interacting with the post. We can see how they're engaging with it. And from that, we can develop further tools to help promote that and, and further that along. That's what we're, our, our model is on the employer subscription side as well. So these 15 founding partners will have the ability to give us direct feedback on a tool that they're using every day. And right. from that, we'll be able to determine one, what resources can we allocate to that to make that happen in the short term? What can we put into the product roadmap to do in the long term? And what is the majority of them seeing that we can have these quick wins and continue on? So I think it's a, it's a balance between listening to your customer, knowing your customer really well, and being able to implement it on a quick enough basis so that they can see value. I mean, we're still learning on it every day, so I'm by no means any expert, but that's what seems to be working for us. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. And it sounds like then you're not doing, you're not developing these features. You're just wireframing or mocking these features up before they actually go to development. Is that, do I understand that correctly? 
at the, at the beginning, I, I was very heavily involved in the wireframing side. As okay. we slowly built out, uh, Mark, the, the front end developer, has you know we've built a, a great rapport and we know how each other thinks now. So if it's a smaller feature, he can come up with something really quickly, and then we can push it to production a lot faster. So I'm still involved in the product uh, gotcha. more uh, as we go, but we also have to you know build out the brand awareness, have you know an evangelist of your product, and and as a co-founder, you wear many different hats and you kind of slot yourself in where where the shortfalls is are currently and that's where i'm finding myself right now no that that makes a lot of sense um and that, i think that's a really good way to actually approach these things so i'm curious you you mentioned earlier you're not a technical co-founder and i, I think that's great that you're actually doing something like a, a technical product but what advice or things have you learned along the way that you would like to pass down to either your younger self or people that are just getting started? Because I think it's nice to see more kind of blue collar workers get into technology and start building tech for these spaces that aren't really known for some of this technology. Uh, it's, it's funny you say that actually. So my, my younger brother is just was coming into university a couple of years before and, and my biggest downfall was not knowing, you know, back end development uh, communicating with developers and, and he's always been business orientated as well. Uh, we had, you know, small little businesses running throughout university, snow removal stuff, little side hustles here and there. And so he's always been business focused. He asked me what he thought he should go into. And I said, you can learn the business side or that, you know, you can learn how to put together a cash flow statement or at least outsource it. What I find is difficult is, is learning yeah. the technical components. So in university, I told him to go into computer science. Uh, he listened to me, which okay. is great. I think he's, he's, he's definitely having challenges with those comp site classes. Like I'm sure a lot of people are, but I think learning on the entrepreneurial side, especially now learning the, the technical side is a lot more important at the beginning. Uh, and then progressing on the business side, I, I find comes a lot easier, but it's different for everyone else. Um, the other thing I, I really noticed was with, with fix it, I was able to speak with contractors every day for two years and that in itself was a burden. But I got to know that customer profile really, really well. And then when I was able to teach myself the Adobe XD side, when I started wireframing out that product, I figured out how the flow, like I knew the flow had to be stupid, simple, very intuitive. And from having those conversations for two years with them, when I built out the wireframes, I was able to bake that into the product, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into how easy, hard, challenging has it been to learn Adobe XD? As somebody that knows XD, I would say the, like, it, it was not an easy task to actually get <laughs> up and running with, with, with it. And I've known the Adobe stuff for a long time now, and I've you know, learned other products. But for somebody that didn't grow up with that background and had to teach themselves how challenging was it and how did you get through it and kind of pierce persevere to actually you know learn it and start using it and building a company with these new skill sets yeah. um fear of failing is probably the biggest one and 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 it's failing in a sense of not letting letting people down like we fail all okay. the time in, in in feature iterations and stuff like that i'm not saying failing on a smaller scale but failing in a larger scale so at that time when we were pivoting from fix it to tradeslink you know, that was the first company where we were funded for me, at least on the technical side, and I didn't want to let anyone down. So it was a do or die situation, in my opinion. And okay. 
I mean, YouTube, Google's out there. The one thing about university is it, it teaches you how to think and how to learn. I'm not learning how to do a cash flow statement anymore. I'm learning how to build out a, a product, you know, wireframe. And so it, the, the fear in itself of, of letting people down and failing was a large motivator. And that's what, I mean, it kept me up anyway. So I might as well be learning myself a skill that could help out the company. <laughs> in, in as dark of a way as that sounds, it, it was, that's the truth. No, I, but I honestly, I think a lot of people would say something similar to that, right? Especially um, learning something new. I, I'm curious, why did you pick Adobe XD? Um, I, I was trying to, I think it was, I saw, I, I was searching up different wireframing tools on okay. YouTube. Yeah. Um, and the way their UX design just made a lot more sense to me. And I was able to pick it up, I think a little bit quicker. Uh, and I Got just kind of rolled with it. I think their, their tools that they had on the, on, you know, on the self-education side and their, their stuff was easy for me to pick up and it just, it just naturally fit. And I'm by no means an expert in Adobe XD. I have enough that I can get by. Um, but I'm not, you know, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm anywhere near expert on, on the XD side. Yeah, but I, I think that's also good advice in itself is you there's a million tools to wireframe work. People could argue their favorite ones, but at the end of the day, they all basically do the same thing. And I feel like I could say that because I know pretty I've used pretty much all of them at this point <laughs> in my career. Um, but the fact that you found a tool that made sense to you, I, honestly, I don't think anybody's an expert at any of the software as even somebody that's used Photoshop for 20 years, like I still learn new <laughs> stuff about it all the time. Right. So yeah. I think the fact that you learned what you needed to learn in the tool that made sense to you, I think is actually really good advice. And it sounds like you spent a bunch of time just on YouTube and, and actually teaching yourself. Like, did you pay for any courses to learn design or, or how did you actually learn design? I uh, no, I didn't. I, I, I didn't pay for anything. It was it, strictly YouTube, Google, and trial and error, and many, many late nights. <laughs> sure. No, but I, I think that's really good advice because so many people will tell you, you need to spend hundreds of dollars on this and hours on that. It's just like YouTube is the best resource to literally probably learn anything at this point, especially popular, you know, developing design and development tools. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, uh, I mean... YouTube in itself, you can teach yourself anything from even on the accounting side. I still go back because I'm we're, we're early enough that I'm still running the books to an extent. Right. You know, I'm still picking up stuff back on YouTube and then, then on the product side or investment re investor relations or anything. I think YouTube's a phenomenal resource. Awesome. So in your opinion or what advice do you give to people um, that maybe aren't technical to maybe actually start doing a tech or software or, or startup business just go go for it i mean in it in a way you know as you as you get into these you have an initial problem that you're trying to solve and then once that problem turns into something else there's so many little problems all the time that you're trying to face and just going in and, and trying it out yourself helps you understand the business a lot better or, or the problem you're solving or the customer you're trying to help. And, and just, just not being afraid to learn something, even if it's taking 30 minutes at the end of the night because you're, you're tired of doing one task, watch a small little YouTube video on something that's been bugging you in the business. Maybe you can support another coworker of yours or your other co-founder in a way that, that uh, 
that can help you scale along quicker. So I think just trying and failing as, as fast as you can is, is something that I give advice and I still tell myself to just keep going and, 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 and fail as quickly as possible on the, on the, on the iteration side. So that's probably what I got. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Why do you think not a lot of blue collar workers are actually doing software and startups? I think they pride themselves on being on the tools. And that's something that I still have uh, pride in. I mean, being able to work with your hands and seeing a visible uh, completion of a project is very satisfying. You can also find that on when you're building out a product. Um, so I think they're, they're, they're used to, to staying on the tools, staying on something they're good at and doing it the old school way. We always hear it in, in this, the construction industry. I, you know, I'm an old school person. I like to keep it that way and, and that's it. And, you know, construction uh, as a whole, I think is ripe for innovation. And we're seeing that across the board. You know, we see Jobber and Edmonton changing the whole field management software side. Uh, we see quote to me on the material procurement side. We're seeing TradeLink, you know, hopefully on, on the fulfillment of, of, of finding employees and labor and creating that social network. So I think that the industry is moving in that way, but it's, it's slower to adopt it and that's fine. But the, the one thing that, that, you know, as we get the word out there is just education on not being tech hesitant. The, the, the products that we're building out are very user-friendly, they're very intuitive and they're, they're helping progress careers and continue on education, especially with the skilled trade. So uh, it's a notoriously, it's a notorious industry to, to slowly adopt technology, but I think we're finding it uh, more and more, and especially we're finding it here in Alberta. So I think that's why I'm, I'm very excited about TradesLink, getting more of a brand presence in Alberta and helping out these skilled trades. Sure. No, that I think that's really good advice. So without giving away anything, where do you take TradesLink over the next few months? And is there anything that people can expect to, you know, check out in, in the coming weeks that you guys are in active development on? Yeah, um, the, the employer subscription tool, that founding partner membership, we have, I think we only have about four or five spots left as of today to sign up. And that's going to be okay. a really big tool to get ahead on that spring hiring rush. Um, we do have some larger names uh, that are coming to us, which has been great. Uh, the focus right now is on the Alberta side because that's where we can provide the most value. So once our database is to a point where we can provide enough people that are looking for work to these uh, employers, that's when we'll be able to release that product. And I'd say we're about not to give, I'd say we're about a, a week and a half to two weeks away from, from, from being able to launch that. Um, so that's something that's going to be really exciting to see here in the near future. Uh, if there are any employers that are looking to hire, especially uh, coming up with that spring rush, we'd be happy to chat with them and seeing if, if we can help. Um, the cool thing about TradesLink is we're actually giving an exclusivity period for a couple months to these founding partners. So what that means is that they get direct access to the searchable database that we're building before any of their competitors do. So it gives yeah, them that advantage and, and gets it going. Also gives us a little bit of, you know, fear of missing out, which helps us, you know, promote the product. Um, but I think it's been, it's been really cool to see how the, the, the employers are jumping on this opportunity to get access to that workforce that they need to build out these projects that they have coming up. Interesting how you're using some of those kind of fear of missing out and a bunch of either kind of tactics to get people onto the platform. I think that's actually really innovative and smart of you guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I'll give uh, my co-founder Sam the credit on that one. He came up with that idea and, and he's been able to, to really push that well. Um, what, what I really like about this is in a way it's a, it's a focus group for us to build out a product that provides value. 
It sure. allows us direct access to these larger companies that maybe we, you know, it's very difficult for us to get in front of. But if mm -hmm. we nail it with them and slowly iterate, and if there's a long enough, you know, time period with that product, we can build something very valuable here for the Canadian market that will, in my opinion, you know, change the way hiring is done throughout the industry. And that's something that I'm super excited about. I know our, 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 uh, our founding partners are as well and the whole team here. Is. So that, that's just been a really, <laughs> a really fun project to get behind. And the team here has been slaving away getting to make sure that it happens. No, that that's very cool. So is there any other advice? I know you just basically wouldn't let up on emailing that the uh, <laughs> the guy at PCL, but is there any other advice that you found that's worked for you guys uh, to actually get in front of some of these larger companies? Warm connections. Uh, yeah. that, that always helps. I mean, being able to we were, we were lucky enough to be able to get a global news coverage here in in, this, yeah. in in January. From that, it opened up the doors to a lot of different people that that probably wouldn't have saw us. What oh, we did was that we we followed up on every single one of those people that reached out. Some obviously weren't as helpful, but there's always that one that that can continue on further. The construction industry, like I said, is very old school in their approach and how they they connect. It's a very tight knit community, and you have to know people to get to get some places sometimes. So right. leveraging those relationships that you have to further along your business has been a great tool for us to progress, especially on the employer side and word of mouth. I mean, you can't be yeah. network effect. I, I mean, once you start seeing people talking about a product that's giving them value, that spreads like wildfire. And we're starting to just see that now, which has been exciting. And we really got to just keep going on that. So following up on your relationships, making sure your warm connections are, are, are taken care of. And then value adds on both sides of a partnership. A partnership, in my opinion, it will never work if there's only value on one side. So making sure, even if you're a small company, that if you in, uh, pursue a partnership with a company, another company, make sure that there's value on both ends. No, I, I think that's that's really good advice. We're kind of coming to the end of the show, but is there anything else that you want to mention that we haven't covered today with uh, TradesLink? We're always looking for feedback on the product. So this is okay. something that's new to the Canadian market. Uh, we've been described as a LinkedIn for the trades, but anyone who signs up, the cool thing about the size of the company is right now is that Sam and I are able to text and interact with every new member that signs up on the TradesLink app. And right. from that, we can build a rapport and get feedback and, and learn what they want to uh, accomplish on TradesLink. We're, we're proud to say that we're being community built. So every we just did a new uh, a release here last, I think the other day, it was about a two-week build, but the cool thing about that that product update was that there were six or seven features that we got directly from our users to iterate on, and then as we pushed those out, these users and, and members found a, the value they needed on TradesLink, and that helped spread the word. So the more That's feedback awesome. that we get, the more that we can grow as a community because it, for this to, to take off, obviously everyone has to have value and connect on that TradesLink app. No, the one thing, and you've said this a number of times, and I think sometimes as somebody that's been a founder um, a number of times myself is like being open to that feedback. And to be honest, the best feedback is the the brutal, honest <laughs> feedback when your users aren't happy. It like, it's the feedback where someone's like, it's awesome. You're like, that's not helpful, right? You want, if, if you're giving feedback, you want to give, like, you don't have to be mean, but like what people are looking for is they're looking for like the pain points and what you didn't like about the app. 
like it doesn't help to say that it's awesome right and i i as somebody that's building an app right now asking for feedback i i wanted to mention that because if anybody tries out the app you're looking for like what people don't like or what they kind of expected or what they would like to see in a future release is that fair to say i i couldn't agree more with you i'm sure you're familiar with the book the mum test mm -hmm. that that book was was huge and, and having the feedback in a negative way is still good feedback uh, it's something that they they've they've used enough where they're feeling that they need to bring it up to you because they wanted to improve and why would you not listen to that great feedback could be you know brush through the weeds or whatever way and, and that the, the negative feedback is what we we iterate on the quickest i, I couldn't agree with you more 100 but we're we're coming to the end so how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about trades link and anything else you want to mention yeah um it's very simple you you can find us anywhere our instagram is at get trades link uh facebook as well at get trades link you can search up us on the website at gettradeslink.com uh, direct. We're on both app stores, Google and, and the app store there. Just search up TradesLink and you can download the app right there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn as well under Rob Bartko. You can DM me there. And of course, you can also DM me on the TradesLink app. Uh, that's where I'd prefer it just because we can get more users interacting and, and helping out with our messaging system. Um, but yeah, just we, we'd love to have anyone join the Canada's growing trades network here called TradesLink and, and, and building a community that's going to help the employers and more specifically, the skilled trace people within Canada. Sure. And then I'm assuming you'll expand into the States at some point or where's that kind of at? The States is an interesting market. I think first we'll, we'll start expanding out East uh, yeah. just because of the relationship we have with our current clients. Uh, sure. The States is definitely on our radar, but as you grow, there's a lot more resources that need to be involved. And the States market is a lot different on the trade side as well. You know, we're, we're finding a lot of trades here in Canada. We'll go through the trade schools, then through their apprenticeship, and then onwards. What we're finding in America is that, or in the States, is they'll go right into an apprenticeship, and then they'll start looking for work. So we're going to have to find different ways on reaching and connecting with these skilled trades as we grow, as we grow geographically. Um, but we'll learn, we'll learn as we grow there. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Rob, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day, man. Thank you very much, Kevin. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and it's been great chatting with you. Yeah, you as well. Thanks, man. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.